Hello and welcome back, Supreme Court buffs. My name is Aaron Larson, and you are listening to the seventh installment of Landmark Decisions in the United States Supreme Court. The main focus of this podcast will be to highlight the key decisions that made the Supreme Court and the United States what it is today. In today's episode, we will be looking at the background and decision in Martin v. Hunter's Lessee. The case was ultimately decided on March 20, 1816, and it was the first case the Supreme Court decided that gave them the power to assert their authority over state courts with regards to civil matters of federal law. We will find out more about that later. What I really want to start off with today is the continuation of Chief Justice John Marshall's legacy. While he has still almost 20 years until his time on the court comes to an end, Marshall has done much more to instill integrity and power into the judicial branch, much more than his three predecessors combined. Sure, Marbury v. Madison alone provided much more than the three previous Chief Justices, but Marshall continues to provide landmark case after landmark case. We will continue to see him work in many episodes to come, but this is an important fact to point out that Marshall is the first true Chief Justice to provide anything of significance to the court. For the case of Martin v. Hunter's lessee, the background begins almost 40 years prior, during the Revolutionary War. During that time, the colony of Virginia passed legislation in their General Assembly that gave it the ability to confiscate property owned by Loyalists. These were the people who did not support the Revolution and instead stayed loyal to King George and the British Parliament. One specific Loyalist, Martin, had some of his land confiscated, which was located in the northern neck of Virginia. This is the northernmost peninsula on the eastern edge of Virginia, just west of the Chesapeake Bay. This land was then transferred to David Hunter of Virginia. The Treaty of Paris, signed in 1783, officially ended the American Revolution, and one clause of the document actually nullified the confiscations that states such as Virginia were making. This was one provision wanted by the British Parliament that would protect their loyal followers in the New World. This allowed Martin to sue for the return of his property. When the lawsuit went to trial, the court ruled in the favor of Martin, citing the Treaty of Paris as the main cause for why he is due his land. There was an appeal to the Virginia State Supreme Court, and they overturned the trial courts, saying the legislation passed was constitutional under Virginia law. Now it is key to note, that the trial originally heard was in the trial courts of Virginia. An appeal was then made to the Supreme Court of Virginia, and that is where we stand now. David Hunter should be required to give his acquired land back to Martin. The state Supreme Court ruled in this case that state law is superior to U.S. laws and treaties. Going back a few episodes, This is the general sentiment during the early years of the United States. Under the Articles of Confederation, 
state law is much more powerful than federal law, and we see this here in the Virginia State Supreme Court decision. The Supreme Court of Virginia also argued that their interpretation of the treaty is quite different than that of the intended meaning, and what they believe is the right interpretation should hold in the state courts. While reviewing a ruling of the same nature and background that the Virginia State Supreme Court made, the United States Supreme Court disagreed with their conclusion and specifically ruled that the treaty did in fact cover the dispute. At that time, in 1813, the state of Virginia refused to acknowledge the ruling as they believed the Supreme Court did not have jurisdiction over their own cases originating in state courts. This is also a general sentiment coming out of the Articles of Confederation, and we see many southern states follow this route along with Virginia throughout the years leading up to the Civil War. Marshall recused himself from this case, citing a conflict of interest. He knew the parties involved and was involved in a separate case in this matter a few years prior. He had direct links to this case and that is why he took no part in the decision or hearing of the case. Because of this, Associate Justice Joseph Story wrote the decision with the court being unanimous in its decision. Justice Johnson also wrote a concurring opinion for the court in this case. That means he agreed with the final outcome of the case, but not the way the court got there. To begin with story, he looked at the argument that federal judicial power comes from the states and therefore that the Supreme Court had no right to overrule a state's interpretations of laws or treaties. To this, Story argued that right from the beginning of the Constitution, in the preamble in fact, it says, we the people, not we the states. Therefore, power is granted to the federal government, especially the federal judiciary, by the people, not by the states. Story later cited Article 3, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution, which allows the Supreme Court judicial review of state decisions. This clause of the Constitution reads as follows. In all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction both as to law and fact, with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. Now the key point in this clause is that in all cases which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. Because the state of Virginia was not technically a party in itself in this case, the Supreme Court does not have original jurisdiction but the Supreme Court has a right to review rulings from the state Supreme Courts, giving it appellate jurisdiction, meaning it has the right to review cases coming from lower courts. It is established that state courts have the power to rule on federal issues 
Therefore, the Supreme Court should also have the right to rule on state decisions. The Supreme Court, though, is the top of the judicial branch, and their personal decisions cannot be overturned until a new case takes precedence over an old one in the United States Supreme Court. Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution lays out the Supremacy Clause. This states that federal interpretation of laws trumps states' interpretations. This goes against everything for which the Articles of Confederation stood for. The federal government is more powerful than the states. Because the Supreme Court could review state legislative and executive actions, they should also be able to do the same for the judiciary of every state. This alone would have been enough for the Supreme Court to strike down the decision made by the Virginia Supreme Court. Despite this, Justice Story goes farther into the depths of the case for a little overkill in the decision. He confronted the argument that state judges are bound to uphold the Constitution just as federal judges are. Because of this, state interpretations, different than federal interpretations, of constitutionally centered documents goes against what all state justices should stand for. There should be uniformity in interpretations across the United States judiciary, no matter at the state level or at the federal level. What the federal government reads should be exactly what the state governments read as well. For these reasons, the state Supreme Court's decision to uphold state law instead of federal law was in error and Martin and others like him should be entitled to their land under the Treaty of Paris which ended the Revolutionary War. Justice Johnson's concurring opinion stands as the symbol that he agrees with the outcome of the case but not entirely their rationale in their decision making. Johnson sees this case as one that causes harm to the Union between the federal government and the states, because if they decide that the Supreme Court can overrule a state law, that demoralizes state judiciaries. Virginia, at the time, was the most populous state in the Union and home to the land that encompassed Washington, D.C. Because of this, if other states see the most populous state getting shot down in the Supreme Court, it does not bode well for their confidence. Johnson argues that Story decided too much in his decision, and that the only question that needed to be answered was whether Virginia was bound to obey the mandate coming out of the Treaty of Paris and the Supreme Court. Story should have stopped his decision at this point and not gone any further into the facts. For this reason, Johnson agreed with the outcome of the case, but believed the majority opinion had gone too far in deciding the case. Martin v. Hunter's lessee serves as an example where the court decides too much, and this surely is not the last time that it happens. As a landmark decision, though, it stands as the Supreme Court case where state courts are subjected to judicial review just as state legislature and executives have been for some time. While Marshall took no part in this case, his fingerprints are all over it as a landmark decision. 
Story serves as the right replacement in his absence and handled the case just as Marshall would have. Even though the facts of the case were pretty cut and dry and not too complicated, Martin v. Hunter's lessee serves as a case of federal judicial review over state constitutional matters. Further reading from today's podcast can be found on the Library of Congress website where court decisions are published, as well as F. Thornton Miller's 1988 article, John Marshall v. Spencer Roan, A Re-Evaluation of Martin v. Hunter's Lessee, published in the Virginia Magazine of History and Biography. Come back next week when we will discuss the 1819 case of Sturgis v. Crowninshield and its role as a landmark case in the Supreme Court of the United States. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under the username of at ALARS175 if you wish to leave me comments and questions on today's episode. I ask that you please follow, rate, and like my podcast so I can improve my skills and continue to gain listeners. I also ask that you think about supporting this podcast through the link in the description. Thank you for listening and see you next week. All of the work and research done for this podcast is the sole property of myself, Aaron Larson, and shall not be downloaded or redistributed without my express written consent. Thank you.